Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to the Crossroads Church Podcast. We are from CrossroadsColorado.com, and we are located in Loveland, Colorado, just about an hour north of Denver, and it's so good to be with you. Well, today, Ryan is in week two of a new series called Love You. And so if you could look at the graphic of this series, it looks like Love University, L-U-V with a U. And speaking of that, go to CrossroadsColorado.com slash gather and you will see our resources page. Now, I went ahead and linked this in your show notes also. But that's where you're going to access all kinds of things, like our Connect card, where you could let us know that you are here, drop your information down if you'd like to connect with somebody. It doesn't matter if you live near or far. We love to know who's here and who is connecting with us. And you can be part of our network and part of our community. You will also find the notes to the message. You can look up PDF notes. You can look up notes that you want to fill in yourself. Now, keep in mind, those show notes change each week on the link. You'll also find a link of ways to give. As you're part of this growing community, it's fun to get behind the vision. And our Adventure is Worth It initiative. So you may want to access the links to give and participate there, too. So here's Ryan in week two, and then Ryan will also send us out with a blessing, and it's a wonderful ending to each message. So here's Ryan. start dancing during that. <laughs> always makes me want to. Good morning. It's great to see everybody. How's everybody doing today? A little okay? All right. Uh, here we go. Uh, raise your hand up nice and high. Raise your hand up. Just everybody on the room, raise your hand up. We'll do a little, little survey right now. If you are anywhere between a one and a five on a scale of one to ten today, keep your hand up nice and high. Everybody else put your hand down. Everybody else put your hand down. All right. The one to fives, we're with you. You're going to make it. You're going to make it, all right? It's all good. You're going to make it. Life sometimes, that song we sang said, should suffering enter my life? Or should suffering, I was like, that is the worst lyric ever. How about when suffering comes into my life? Like, should? My goodness. I don't live my life that good. Suffering is going to come, right? I mean, it's just going to happen. So I love that. When that happens, we remember that God is faithful in the middle of it all. That's why we're here. So I want to welcome those of you that are tuning in online, those of you that are out in the atrium here in the room. My name is Ryan. I'm the lead pastor here at Crossroads. It's great to be together in some form. If you're tuning in on demand, thank you for taking time out of your schedule to connect. I know we've got groups that connect really throughout the country and other places of the world, and they use our on-demand video at different times, meet in homes. So that's wonderful. It's great to have you with us today. Uh, we're on week two of Love University. Let me ask you this question. How many of you know or have ever heard of the name Sherlock Holmes? Anybody ever heard of Sherlock Holmes? Some of you had. Big fan, big fan of Sherlock Holmes. Interesting character in uh, literature, kind of complex, has his issues, but brilliant. Uh, loved like reading the short stories when I was a kid and just kind of continue to read them. I think I, I try to watch like all kinds of like depictions of Sherlock Holmes in the media. Anybody watch the show Sherlock when it was on CBS? Love that show. What a great take on that story. And then uh, the BBC show, uh, no, it was called Elementary on on CBS. Yeah, right. Some of you were like ready to walk out. You were like, 
No, no, no. Sherlock is BBC. Like, get it right, loser. I saw it in your eyes. Uh, I didn't see it in your whole face because y'all were in masks, but it was your eyes. I could see they were just, you were giving it to me. But yeah, so we watched the Benedict Cumberbatch. He was a great Sherlock Holmes. Then the movies with Robert Downey Jr. Like, can't go wrong. Good stuff, right, Jim? Jim's like, yeah, I got, a, I got an amen out of Jim. Two and a half years, that's what it took. Just say Robert Downey Jr. He said, amen. He's even going to give in the offering today, I bet. All right, there it goes. Right? So I love it, right? And the thing about Sherlock Holmes is like when there's a great mystery, when there's all these clues, when things are weird and crazy, he just follows the evidence, right? He follows the evidence. He's just going to look at the evidence and solve the mystery. And then he says what? Like he, he, he gets asked, how did you come to that conclusion? How did you come to that deduction? He says, well, it's elementary, my dear Watson. And then he goes through this slew of things that like no normal human being could have ever put together, right? But for him, it's elementary. And I started thinking about Sherlock Holmes as I was like studying this week for this, uh, these three or four verses that we're looking at in 1 Corinthians 13, because really there was this big mystery in Corinth that was going on. And if you weren't able to check out, if you weren't able to be here or listen to last week's message, I would encourage you to do that. Uh, first of all, it's a little shorter than usual, I think, so that's always nice. But uh, it's just kind of a good setup for what's happening in this city of Corinth, which is where Paul writes this letter to. And the big, great, huge mystery in Corinth is, what is love? What is it? Like, what is actually the foundation of this community? What is guiding this community? And there had been some counterfeit kind of ways and things that were counterfeiting love, right? So there was this idea that the actual experience of love was found in being popular, like was found in having all these gifts that people uh, could admire. And Paul was saying, no, that's not what it's about. So the question really, the great mystery, what is the actual experience of love that is Christ-like? That if you were to build that, if you were to take that Christ-like love and lay it as a foundation, that it would create healthy communities. It would create healthy families, healthy relationships, healthy work environments, right? If we were to bring this idea of what is Christ-like love that reflects the person of Jesus, what's true and authentic in, in, in when we think about love, well, what's the evidence of that? That's the big mystery. And today, like, we're going to explore that as we look at the next few verses here in this letter. And the big question for us in this century, right, as we walk around, as we're living out our relationships in our households, in our workplaces, in our neighborhoods, at the PTA, when we enter the kind of roundabout that nobody knows how to drive through, you know, around here, like what does authentic Christ like love? And how do we know if we're actually acting like Christ or if it's a counterfeit love? Like, how do we actually know? That's the big question. And I think what we're going to find out today is that counterfeit love looks like what we see at the Church of Corinth, that people just wanted to be in front. They wanted to have gifts. They were acting selflessly, but they were really doing it so that they could get praise right? And that kind of feeds into the ego, that when you're nice to somebody, when you're kind of do the right thing, when you let them enter into the, you know, and go first before you at the four-way stop, then, you know, you're feeling like, oh, I'm really good about this, but you're doing it so that you get praise, right? And that's kind of egoism. But what Paul's going to dig into is he's going to talk more about what we'll call altruism, which is when you actually act in kind, gracious, helpful ways without anything in return. And here's the thing about counterfeit love. Counterfeit love always moves on a spectrum, right? And counterfeit love slides around in between altruism and egoism, right? Two fun words at church. Altruism and egoism, right? Altruism, this idea that you can actually act in such a way just for the sake of it's the right thing to do. Like I can actually show kindness, I can be gracious, I can be, be, be wonderful and loving simply, and I can be helpful because a person deserves it. 
Or I can do all those very same actions, but it's because I want somebody to say thank you. I want somebody to recognize me. And that's kind of what's been happening at the church at Corinth. They've been like sliding into egoism. They've fallen into the pit that anything they do is about getting recognition. Anything they do is about look at me. Look at how nice I am. Look at how kind I am. So what Paul's going to do is say, here, that's been the problem. But now I want to I tell you what love actually is. And so we want to look at some wisdom from 1 Corinthians 13, verses 4 through 7. We're going to look at four verses today. It's only going to take about four hours. One hour per verse. Are you excited about that? How about the Wilson Row over there? You all excited about that this morning? They're like, bring it. The Broncos aren't playing today. No, we're going we're gonna to get us through this. If you're new to Bible study, I mentioned last week, 1 Corinthians is one of what we know as the absolute authentic Pauline letters written by a guy who had an amazing experience with the risen Jesus. Like he was on his way persecuting Christians and he has this vision and it changes his life and changes the course of human history. And he went around founding these small communities of people that would gather to just try and learn what is it like to live a Jesus way. Mainly they were folks that were not Jewish by birth, but they were very interested in the Jewish God. And so they would come together and they would learn and grow. And these communities generally got very messy. They got very messy because they were blending all kinds of philosophies and thought patterns. And so some of the letters that we have in the New Testament, the second part of the Christian Bible, some of these letters are really just like Paul trying to like make sense of what's happening in the community and correct some behaviors. And so we're looking at this letter called 1 Corinthians and 1 Corinthians chapter 13, which is a very famous passage of scripture that you maybe have heard at weddings, you maybe have heard it at funerals, you've maybe uh, heard it on your first date if your you know, person was really romantic, they just busted it out, you know. <laughs> maybe that was your last date too, I don't know, right? It's a bit much, you know, we're just going for drinks, I don't need all that, right? But uh, we're going to like walk through. And so Paul wants to start. I'm going to give you three A's today. All right. Paul wants to start first. He said, here's the problem. Here's how you're behaving. But now let me start with what authentic love is. Authentic agape love. How many of you have ever heard that phrase agape before? Some of you might've heard that good. I hope a whole bunch of you have never heard that phrase before. Because if you've never heard the phrase agape, that means you haven't been around church. It means you haven't been too messed up. All right. So here's the deal, <laughs> by people like me, right? I totally understand that. So the word agape, in Greek, there's three different words for love, and the word that Paul uses here is agape, and it means this kind of unconditional love, that there's nothing you could do to earn this, there's nothing you could do to, you know, say thank you, it's just given to you, and this love is most often attached to God, right? And so what that looks like, Paul wants to say, here's the deal, y'all have been living crazy, doing weird stuff in this community, thinking this is God's idea of love and how you should act. But I'm going to tell you what authentic agape love is. And it's not complicated. This is such a beautiful chapter and we could get lost in all of its, its poetry, but really Paul drives home and he says it's two things. That, that agape love, the very character and defining essence of God, if God is love, is two things. And he says it in verse four. He says, love is patient and love is kind. Right? I, I, I'm going to do my best to complicate that for you, all right? <laughs> because you, if we just closed the service right now, you'd feel like you weren't getting your money's worth, right? So listen, love is patient and love is kind. Everything else that Paul's getting ready to say it has, it really isn't defining of love. It's, it's saying what it is. It's, but he starts with, this is what it looks like. And we know patience, right? There's a slowness to patience, right? There's a desire to listen when we're patient, we're not just like waiting for somebody to stop talking. We're actually listening. We're trying to understand one another. That's the heartbeat of patience. We kind of get that. What I want to talk about for a few minutes is this idea of kindness 
When Paul says kindness, what is he talking about? Because we could be kind to one another for all the wrong reasons. And so I want us to focus in on this idea of kindness in an altruistic way. Now, a few months ago, we did a series around here called The Spirituality of Happiness. Anybody remember that? Anybody remember? Oh, some of you are still here. Good. That's wonderful. So <laughs> around that time, we, and one of the things that I talked about in that series was how when we grow in our quality of character, our happiness grows. And I kind of brought up this wonderful institute called the Via Institute for Character. And they study virtues and characters. And one of the character qualities, character traits that all of us have at some measure is called kindness. And the way that uh, the VIA Institute in their classifications of character in their handbook, they talk about kindness as an orientation of the self towards the other. That there's something inside of us that is just oriented towards the other person. And it has nothing to do with what that other person can do for me. It's just an orientation. Like I'm just, I'm kind of bent. I lean towards those opportunities to give of myself towards someone else. Kind people, they say, resonate with a phrase like this. They say, I'm helpful and I'm empathetic and I regularly do nice favors for others. Here's the key, without expecting anything in return. I generally expect stuff in return. Can I get it? Amen right? Like, I'm like, yeah, I'll be nice, but don't be a jerk back to me because then I'll stop being nice to you, right? But that's not what the, the character is. The character is actually just this kindness towards someone simply because they're a human being. It has nothing to do. It's the welcoming to the table, everyone, right? That idea of kindness. Uh, the Institute says that kind individuals, right? They think that other people are just worthy of attention. They're worthy of affirmation for their own sake as human beings, has nothing to do with what they do. There's no sense of duty or principle, right? I mean, that's the interesting thing about faith, right? Christianity calls us to live a Christ-like life. And that can feel very oriented towards, a, like, it's, it's something that I have to do now. I have a duty towards other people. But the idea of kindness as a character, it's it just there. Like, there's just something about it that sits inside of you. So, by, by like thumbs up and thumbs down, all right? So everybody like free up your hands, audience participation. You can put your pens down. There's no fill-ins coming. Some of you are ready. Like, I love it. You're like, what's that next fill-in? Say, like, when is this thing going to end? Give me the fill-in. All right, so here's the deal. No fill-ins. If you're online, you can participate as well with a thumbs up or thumbs down button, all right? So as I say these statements, give me a thumbs up if you'd like for these to be said about you, all right? If you don't want it said about you, give me a thumbs down, all right? So here we go. First one. Because these are the statements that like kind people would say, all right? Others are just as important as me. I'm getting a lot of thumbs up. I'm getting some neutral. Like, I don't know. I'm in the between. I get it. Okay. All right, next one. All human beings are of equal worth. Thumbs up or thumbs down? How about online? Are we getting any responses? Thumbs up or thumbs down? I'm getting a lot of thumbs up. Okay. This one's tricky. Be honest. I am not the center of the universe. If you are under the age of 18, don't even bother answering, all right? Don't even bother, unless you're putting your thumbs down, all right, right? I am not the center of the universe, right? I'm part of a common humanity, okay? Here's the next one. This is a good one. It's important to help everyone, not just family and friends. Not just family and friends. You raise your hand. Oh, good, good. Lots of thumbs up. Give yourselves a great, great big hand. Give yourselves a great, you passed that test. Here's the thing. We all want to, that to be said of us. We all want it to be said of us, but we generally don't want to act in such a way that people would say it about us, right? Because that means helping that person out at work that's just a scumbag. Am I allowed to say that in church? 
I mean, you know it, you think it, you know they're not, but that's just the way you feel towards them. So the idea of helping them advance their career and giving of yourself and staying extra and helping them clean up their mess, maybe they made a mistake on a report, right? And you don't want to help them because they're nasty. But this kind of kindness that Paul's talking about, this kind of kindness that the Character Institute is talking about says, I'll stay and help. And the research shows that kindness is the foundation of every moral and spiritual life in all the major world religions, that there is a word for this type of altruistic kindness in all the major world religions. In, in Christianity, in Greek, it's called, uh, it's called agape. In Judaism, it's chesed. It's the loving kindness of God. Buddhism has a word for it. Hinduism has a word for it. It's perennial. And it's the foundation of like healthy spirituality, this idea of a love that is not based upon what I can get in return, right? And so Paul's driving home, I think, a principle because he talks about being patient because th that kind of kindness takes some patience. Can I get an amen on that one, right? To be kind, to be loving, to be gracious, to stay late, to give up your Saturday for that person who is a terrible neighbor. You don't, oh, they just frustrate you so much, but you see that they're out doing something that they need a hand with and you're going to go and help them out on a Saturday. Like that takes some patience, right? That takes some altruistic action right? To just act for the sake of others. I'm not looking for public recognition. I'm not looking for a thank you. I'm not looking for a six pack. I'm not looking for anything. I'm just, this is how I'm oriented. And that's what Paul says love is, right? So it's not complicated to kind of mentally grasp it, but if we're all honest with one another, it's very, very challenging to live out. It's one of the reasons why I think Christianity is so powerful is because Christianity doesn't expect you or I to live that out on our own, that there is a life in Christ, a life in the Spirit that animates us, that reminds us of how we are loved by God, how we're held by God, how God views and sees every person on the planet, and that charges us up to give the same. So Paul starts with authentic. Here's what authentic love is. It's patient, it's kind. And then he moves into the antithesis of love, right? So Paul's now going to spend the next verse and a half saying, you all are the opposite of it. So he's going to start giving a list of negatives, right? So he's going to start saying what love is not. And what you have to understand is all of these things that Paul is saying, he's used most of them. He's used the actual words earlier in the letter as he's described the Corinthians. And so if you read just this chapter, like, which is usually what happens, we don't read all of the letter of 1 Corinthians at funerals, right? We pull this one out. We don't read the whole of 1 Corinthians at weddings. That would be really bad. We wouldn't want to do that. We just pull it out. But what Paul is doing, he says, love is patient, love is kind. And now I'm going to tell you what it's not. And what I'm doing is saying everything that I've said up to this point that you're all about, <laughs> I'm hoping your eyes get open to this. And so he says, it's not jealous. Love's not jealous. But yet in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 3, he says, why is there jealousy and rivalry among you? He says, love isn't pompous or boastful, right? It's not pompous. It doesn't go around boasting about how wonderful it is. And Paul in chapter one and in chapter three and in chapter four and in chapter five, he reprimands the Corinthians for all of their boasting. He says, it's not inflated. It's not puffed up. And yet Paul in verse 418 says, some have become inflated or puffed up with pride. Right? So he's drawing specifically to things that he's addressed. And Paul, when he talks about this love that isn't puffed up, right, he's trying to draw this distinction that pride will puff you up, but love will build someone else up, right? That's what love is. And you're not doing it. He goes on, he says, it's not rude. 
It's kind of a weak translation here. Really, Paul's, Paul's language here is pretty harsh. It's, it's not shameful. It doesn't act shamefully. It doesn't exhibit behaviors that you go, oh, I can't believe I did that. And like all of, all of the first part of 1 Corinthians is just all this stuff that Paul's like, I can't believe this is going on and you have no problem with it. It's like your women are prophesying with their heads uncovered. It's craziness. <laughs> it doesn't make any sense to us today. It's all right. But it was a big deal for Paul. <laughs> right? He said, listen, you've got somebody in your community who is sleeping with their father's wife and you don't seem to bother you at all. Shameful behavior, he says. You humiliate the poor. In chapter 11, he goes on about like how you're just humiliating the poor when they come in to share this meal that he calls the Lord's Supper and, and you all have eaten and gotten your full and there's no food left for the ones that actually had to go work all day. Eat at home. Like that's shameful behavior. Then he goes on and he says, love does not seek its own interests. First Corinthians chapter 10 is all about this crazy situation of eating meat sacrificed to idols. How many of y'all, when you go to King Supers or Kroger, wherever you go, you ask the butcher, were these, uh, were these cuts of beef sacrificed to any idols? I just need to know before I buy them. <laughs> you should double check that because First Corinthians says it's a big deal and we're going to follow the Bible around here. So we're going to make sure that none of my beef has been sacrificed to some idol, right? No, but Paul's talking about a very contentious reality because Meat that was sacrificed to idols was thought to contain kind of the essence, the power of that God. And so when you would consume that meat, you would be animated and empowered by that God. Hence why Jesus says, or why, you know, the gospels say that Jesus says, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, right, it's all, it's all coming towards this cultural reality. What Jesus is saying is that I'm the one who gives you life. I'm the bread of life, right? So there was this big debate. Do you do it? Do you not do it? What do I do? What what don't I do? There's lots of of craziness. But Paul says, in it all, he says, you shouldn't seek your own interest, but your neighbors, right? That's what he drives him to. He says, love is not quick-tempered, and it doesn't brood over injury. There's no like real specific mention of these two things in 1 Corinthians 1 through 12, but it's the whole theme, (laughs) It's all of it. They've brooded over how they've hurt one another and they've, they've, they've been quick-tempered with each other and it's created all the divisions and all the fractions between them. And then he says this, he says, it doesn't rejoice over wrongdoing. Really, the word here could be translated as injustice. Like, it's not just wrongdoing against one another. It's the idea that I've acted unjustly and I celebrate that. But it rejoices in justice or the truth. And this might be referring to what Paul does in 1 Corinthians 6, where he's like, gets all over the Corinthians because they're suing one another in, in Gentile court. There's all, and, and it's not justful. Like they're, they're not getting, they're not, they have no reason to do that. And so he's saying, that's not what love is. And he's talking about truth in like a moral sense, not just like, oh, it's honest. No, it's this God's way of living, this just way of living goes back to Micah 6, 8. What is it that God asks of us but to do justice, right? To do righteousness, right? To treat one another fairly, justly. And basically, Paul's saying, this is the opposite of what you all are doing. So he says, love is patient, love is kind. What it's not is everything I've told you you're doing. That would not be a fun sermon, right? What if I just started off with like, Crossroads Church, love is patient and kind. Love does not get angry at a person who wears a mask below their nose. Some of you are like, (laughs) (laughs) Love does not treat people at work in poor ways simply because 
they're atheists or simply because they're of a different religion, like whatever it might be. Like if I found out stuff that was going on like that, and that's part of what we should be doing as a church, by the way, calling us one another towards love. But Paul's not just simply condemning behavior. He's saying, I'm condemning the behavior because it's not love. And then Paul, so Paul says, hey, here's what authentic love is. Here's what the antithesis of love is. That's you. <laughs> but here's four actions that define and are the power and the evidence and the fruit of when you know you're really living in it. This is what love does. And he says it this way. He says, it bears all things. I love this. He says, it believes all things. It hopes all things. And it endures all things. In other words, what Paul is saying is that love that is patient and kind, not what you all are doing, but love that is patient and kind is strong enough for the most difficult betrayals in life. It's strong enough to carry you through the biggest disappointments in life. It's strong enough to carry you through the greatest sufferings. So when Paul says all things, don't think of it like, oh, it just believes all things. Like when your kids tell you they clean their room, you can just believe it and you shouldn't go check. Your kids are liars. <laughs> and, and if you're a kid in the room, we love you anyway. We know that you lie about your room being clean. We just like start digging under the bed. We're like this is not clean. Your, this area, your floor doesn't have anything on it, but that doesn't constitute clean. That's not, Paul's not saying, oh, believe everything. Love, love believes all things. So when that coworker who's lied to you over and over and over again, or that friend who's lied to you over and over again, you just got to believe them. No, no, no. It's, think of it like this. In all circumstances, no matter what you're going through, in everything, in all things, love continues to believe that it can make a difference. Love continues to hope. Love continues to carry us through. This kind of love that is patient and truly kind for others, for the sake of others, it carries us through all of these things. Paul's emphasis on all things is not, as one commentator says, to turn followers of Jesus into foolish Pollyannas, just gullible, believing everything. That's not what Paul's saying. Paul's saying this kind of love will sustain you. The New English Bible's translation of it, I think, is really powerful. It says, there is nothing love cannot face. There is no limits to its faith, its hope, and its endurance. That's that, that's that beautiful. That's why songs like The Power of Love by Hugh Lewis and the News are so great. Somebody, I got another. Woo! I got another one. I love it. I'm, just, I'm, I'm getting the generation here. I'm getting the generation. I just got right? That's the power of it. And that's what Paul's bringing them to, right? And so here's what Paul is saying. And I think Paul is saying it to us. I think the Spirit of God has given us this beautiful passage of Scripture. It's inspiring. It's inspired because this Christ-like love, that agape love, real, genuine, authentic love, is the limitless power in our lives when we give kindness to everyone without expectation of personal gain. That's what it is. And here's the thing. That kind of love will revolutionize every relationship in your life. That kind of love will change everything. Because if, if, I'm, if I'm simply doing out of love's sake, not expecting anything in return, I don't need a thank you, I don't need an acknowledgement, I don't need a wow, you're the best, I don't need an attaboy, I don't need any of that stuff. I do it because I'm centered towards and I'm geared towards the other person. It can change everything. But if I'm constantly looking for somebody to say thank you, if I'm constantly looking for somebody to acknowledge it, if I'm constantly looking for the praise, if I'm constantly looking for the pat on the back, then it's just going to eat me up inside. Oh, I can't believe they did. I, I was so nice to them. Blah, 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 blah. 
But Paul says, no, that's not what Christ-like, genuine, agape love is. That's what you all have been living in, and look what it's done to you. Look what it's done to you. But that love that can sustain everything. And so in our everyday normal lives, how do we grow in our Christ-like love? Well, think of Christ-like love as this altruistic kindness. And here's the beautiful thing that we know. Kindness is not a fixed reality. Kindness is not a fixed reality. Think of somebody in your life who has grown in kindness. Like you would say, man, when I first met them, whew, I did not want to be around them. But over time, for whatever reason, they just became more of a kind person. So we can grow in our kindness capacity. That's what all the research says. That's what I think the scriptures teach us, being transformed by the renewing of our mind. That's why we daily do things like pray. It's why we listen to music that uplifts us. It's why we're called back into Christ every day of our lives so that we can grow. And I think the key to growing, right? So we could say, I could just end it there. Just grow in your capacity for kindness. Go be nicer to people and you'll be all set. And you'll be like, thanks for that. But here's what's powerful. All the research around kindness, and I think when we look at the life of Jesus, it says that if you really want to grow in the kindness, the fruit of real love, try and grow in your empathy. Try and grow in your empathy. Because empathy is the key. Empathy is that ability to understand, to feel, to imagine another person's emotional experience, why a person is behaving the way they are, what's happened in their life. Anybody in the room watching Cobra Kai? This is a Sunday morning only. This is totally free right now. I didn't even mention this on Thursday. And I went long on Thursday, so imagine how much longer it's going to be now that I'm talking about Cobra Kai, right? <laughs> Here's what's beautiful about this show. First of all, acting is terrible. Totally get that. It's all based on nostalgia. I love it. But here's the thing. What they do so brilliantly in that show is they give you a sense of empathy for every character in the show. They, they do this so brilliant. Like if you ever watched the original Karate Kid, you just hated the villain Johnny. You hated him. You thought, oh, this guy's a loser. He's just picking on everybody, right? But the way they tell the story like 30 years later gives you background, gives you understanding of what could produce behavior like that. And they do this for all these characters. So you're like, I don't know who the bad guy is. And it's a little glimpse as to what I think love and God and how God works. When you have understanding like that. And I think this is really the essence of the doctrine. Cobra Kai is not the essence of the doctrine of incarnation, but the idea, <laughs> the idea of understanding fully the human experience, that's the essence of the doctrine of incarnation, that God took on flesh and walked among us. That he dwelled in this tent and this light came and that's what Jesus was all about. And so we grow in that capacity, how we feel others. And here's the deal, the book, anybody read the book Emotional Intelligence, a little more highbrow than Cobra Kai? right? Emotional intelligence, anybody read that, worked on your EQ, right? So emotional intelligence, the author says, there is not an area of your life that a growth in empathy will not help, that you will become more successful in your management. You'll be more, if you're in sales, you'll be more successful in sales. You'll be more successful as a, a, in romance. You'll be more successful in parenting. Like it, it's just, it, it's in everything you do. If you are an activist, you will be better at your activism if you understand empathy. And here's what I thought. I thought about this. When we lack empathy, and think about what Paul said. Paul said, love is patient and love is kind, right? When we lack empathy, what do we grow? Impatience. When we can't understand, we lack patience. How many of y'all have ever said this? Don't raise your hand. I can't understand why anybody would have done what you just did. Right? So, and you never say that nice. You're never like, I just can't believe why anybody would have ever done what you just did. I just love you so much for it. Like, no, it comes out of a place of impatience. Like, we've lost our mind. 
Why? Because we lack that understanding. We lack the empathy. So I found this cool little blog post from a psychologist who's, who wrote, like, how to develop empathy. And I think these are beautiful things that, that are all grounded in this big truth of Scripture, right? And so there's this great article. It's called Developing Empathy, Eight Strategies and Worksheets <laughs> for Becoming More Empathetic. Uh, if you want a copy of it, just check the box on your back of your Connect card, and I'll email you the link so you can get it, or you can Google it. You'll probably find it. But there, were, there was like eight of them there, but there were a couple that I thought were really great that I think exemplify like the Christian life, exemplify what it means to live out this Christ-like love. And the first one was cultivate curiosity. Cultivate curiosity. Like live a curious life. Live a life that wants to understand. Spend time with people you don't know. Ask lots of questions. If you're a social media person, follow people that are different than you on social media. They have different political views. They, have different, they come from a different ethnic background than you, right? They're a different religious faith than you. Like Follow different voices and see what they have to say. And dig in, try and understand. Be present with people when you talk to them, when you're actually engaging. Like, listen to their stories. Ask yourself, how does what they just shared with me about an experience that, that happened in their life 20 years ago, how is that affecting them right now? Like, understand those types of things. One of the things I always like to do is when I meet with somebody, talk with somebody, I always try to, like, walk away with, like, one thing that I can just remember. Like, that's pretty cool. That's pretty wild. I look at some of you I've had the privilege of getting, being able to have coffee with. And like, I've got this like one thing in my head that helps me. I'm like, wow. And sometimes I get to say to people like, did you know that so-and-so, this happened to them? And they're like, no, I didn't. And it's just like, right? These are beautiful stories that exist in all of our lives, right? To listen to them, to take a hold of them. Try and visit new places. Step out of your comfort zone. This was the second thing I thought was so beautiful. I mean, this is the Christ-like life. It's always taking us into spaces that are not comfortable. So step out of your comfort zone. Like, go be a novice at something. If, if you only do hobbies that you're good at, that you've been doing for 20 years, you will easily miss this idea, right? Like, always try it. I'm, I told you that, I don't know if I'm supposed to talk about this or not, but I said a few months ago, like, I had whiskey for the first time a while ago. This stuff is nasty. <laughs> it's disgusting. But I have all these friends that they're like whiskey, like they love whiskey connoisseurs, so I'm trying my best. I'm trying. Like, I don't know what the difference is, all this nonsense, you know? But I, boy, it, there's nothing more humbling than trying to figure something out for the first time, right? I think about like church, what it's like to come into a brand new church for the first time. It's tricky, right? If you haven't been to church in 20, 25 years, you walk in, you don't know when to sit down, when to stand up, what's going on. I had somebody one time... At the last place I was pastoring, early on, when I would ever I would say, "Hey, if you're new to Bible study, the Bible's made up of two big sections: the Old Testament and the New Testament." And I just give a little two-minute introduction. They would get so I came up to me when they were so angry. Where I'm not an idiot. I know what the Old Testament and the New Testament is. Why do you say that? Why do you assume we're so stupid? Blah 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 blah. I said, "Well, why don't you come in? We'll have a conversation. It's fine." So they made an appointment. They came in. Said, I just don't understand. Blah, blah, blah. So I walked over to my bookshelf and I pulled off the um, Third Testament from the Church of Latter Day Saints. <laughs> and I said, I handed it to him and I just said, "Hey, open up that to such and such passage." I mean, this is just face. Like, just had no idea because they had never held a Church of Latter Day Saints testament. They didn't know what it was. They didn't know where to go. And I said, "That's why I do it. That's why." Because there's a whole bunch of people that I hope are walking into our church that have zero experience with the Bible, zero experience with faith, and that's what they feel like every time. And everybody else in the room has been doing sword drills since they were six years old. They're like, whoosh, they open it up. 
Why do you put the verse on the, on the screen and not make us bring our Bibles? Because that person who doesn't have a Bible just feels left out of the club. And which do I think Jesus cares about more? The fact that everybody's got a paper Bible in their hand or that we've created a space for people who would feel very uncomfortable. Are there now? Should bring your Bible. I don't care. That's wonderful. But, but those are the things like we have to think, like find out those new experiences. Why it's so important to have Jenny here. Come sometime and, and, and erase your ability to hear and see what it's like. These are the, the ways in which we are trying to be more and more aware of how we can do better, right? But the only way we do that to develop empathy is to experience it, right? That's the only way. As I want to encourage you, the third thing, this was so good. This was so good. It's like somebody read their Bible and wrote this, right? Join a shared cause. <laughs> Join a shared cause. You know what we would say around here? The adventure is worth it. Is that you want to develop empathy, gather alongside with people, find a project that you can work on together, join people who have similar experiences, get to know them, have a common, united, you know, front, the thing that you're working on together. I said, that's just beautiful. That's wonderful. So I want to encourage you, like, go on that adventure, get involved, become a part of something that's not just about you or me. And all of a sudden, we develop and we grow the emphasis. Join a volunteer team, those emphasized areas from the Adventures Worth It. Maybe I mentioned earlier about our need to be ready for connect groups where people can just come and experience this kind of love. Not a Bible study, not I'm gonna hold you accountable for never sinning again, but just a space where people can talk about their week and be loved and know that the people are praying for them and caring for them. That's Christian community. Like, that's what it is. It's not having a big organization that whenever I need a meal, I call the church building and then it magically appears. No, it's being a part of a group of 10 or 12 people that are doing like what the Corinthian community was doing. They're just trying to figure it out together. But it was a space of love. And that's why Paul could be so, like, clear. <laughs> I was going to say harsh, but that's why Paul could be so clear with them because his love could endure all those things. Like, he was in it for the long run. He wasn't going to go and, like, say, here's what I think of you, and here's this blah, 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 and I'm going to take my ball, and I'm going to go home and never play with you again. He was in it for the long haul. That's the beauty of real, authentic love community. So join that share cause. And it's so great because, you know, I always like to ask the question, how does, the world, how does this make the world a better place? How does this make me a better place, me a better person, <laughs> Right? And, and that's just kind of like the normal way of saying, how does this give glory to God? Because I think the glory of God makes the world better for all humanity, for everybody. And it's like, it's like what we just know, like every part of our lives is positively affected by our ability to be empathetic and to love like Jesus, every area. And that's why we gather every seven days, by the way. Because <laughs> if you think you can do this, for longer than like say two, three weeks without any kind of connectivity with one another, like you're far better than I am. Like I need to be reminded of Christ's love. I need to be reminded of the goodness of God. I need to be reminded of what this is all about. I need to see people that I don't get to see all the time. That's why we gather. That's why, that's why for ages the Christian community has said, this isn't something you go do off in the mountains by yourself. Even when people go do it off in the mountains by themselves, they get a few people with them, form a monastery. <laughs> that's why it's important. It has nothing to do with going to heaven, by the way. It has nothing to do with being a good person or if I don't do this, then God's going to bless me. But it has everything to do with if I want to live out this type of love, I'm, I'm pulled into this. 
And all the research shows it, by the way. All the research shows that every area. The research shows that your work relationships, that you get better skills being able to deal with people, that marriages are stronger, that parents are, you have like resilience for the struggles of parenting when you develop empathy and this type of love. That even at a global level, countries are able to avert disaster in wars by growing in empathy. You know, at kind of the individual level, there's this great example of how powerful one person who will live towards the other is. How many of you have ever heard of the name Dame Cicely Saunders? Anybody ever heard of Cicely Saunders? Good, I hadn't really heard of her either until this week. <laughs> Cicely Saunders um, is the, she was trained in London in the UK uh, as a nurse first, and then she became a medical social worker and eventually became a physician. And she founded a place called St. Christopher's Hospice in London. And this was the first like, institution that combined research and teaching and hosp with hospice care. And it linked all of that with actual clinical care, right? And it, it, found, it was founded in 1967. So she's universally revered as the founder of the modern hospice movement. And she chose that word hospice because in its like, medieval period, this word hospice just meant it was a place where travelers could rest. And she believed deeply that those that were on the journey of dying deserved a place to rest. And she took that to heart. And she said, the way we're dealing with end of life, the way we're treating people, this big debate that's happening around euthanasia, like we have to rethink this whole thing because she cared so much for the individual. And she introduced the idea of total pain, that you had to consider a person's mental and social pain. You had to consider their emotional pain, not just the physical dimensions of their distress. And she thought of every person as an individual to the end, whether they were a staff member, whether they worked for her, no matter what, she was considered to be an incredible listener. If you read, like, if you read the obituary of her life, it's really powerful. She paid careful attention to patients when they would tell their stories. You know, she did away with visiting hours. You know why she did that? Because she said visiting hours are just an excuse to have non-visiting hours. She says, we're not going to do that anymore. This isn't how this works. One patient who was transferred to St. Christopher's from another said this, they used to see how long I could go without an injection. I used to be pouring with sweat because of the pain. I couldn't speak to anyone, and I was having crying fits. I've only cried since I've been here once. He said, the biggest difference is I feel so calm. I don't get worked up or upset. In her, like, fight against euthanasia. She was so strongly opposed to euthanasia, uh, partly because of her strong Christian faith and partly because she felt like with pain management and human dignity, it wasn't necessary and needed. And so she fought strongly against that. But what was so fascinating was she had such patience with people of opposing views because she said, hey, we're, we're all in this together in that no one wants people to go through pointless pain and impersonal indignity. And so she retired in like 1995, I think. She passed away around 2005. But in 1999, five years after retirement, she goes to Cambridge, Massachusetts. And she's addressing a group there in Cambridge. And she tells them, I still go just about every day and just help with the normal rounds. I still go. I just help go and I, I join the hospice team, offering care, caring for the patients that are dying, assisting with the daily tasks. And she did that because people were worth it because this is what it meant to be other-centered. It wasn't about a paycheck. She had long retired. It wasn't about authority. It wasn't about being an example. It was just it's how she was wired. You see, the 
hospice movement that we see today, that's the evidence of the power of empathy. That's the evidence of Christ-like agape love. It's the power of altruism. It's the power of Christ-like love embodied in one person. Why not you and why not me? Imagine what, what God could do with that. So we got a, a song here in a moment that just says, God, you're so good. It's a great reminder of the truth of, of God is patient and God is kind. Like that's the essence. That's the truth of what, what holds the universe together is kindness and power. And so what is it that God's inviting you into today? So we're going to give you these few minutes to just pause and reflect and then we'll receive our offering, give you the blessing for the week. But this is a gift. It's just a moment with some music to just reflect on how important is this type of love in your life? What could you do to grow? Maybe you just could read that article on empathy. Just check that box and we'll get it to you. Maybe there's a part of you that's like, I just, I want to, I'm kind of fighting it, but there's something about creating a space where people can feel this kind of love in my home, in my work, a connect group like that. If you'd be interested in talking more about that, check that box and I'll follow up and we'll connect and talk about what that looks like. Because I just think that's one of the most important things that a healthy community of faith has is an interconnective web of smaller groups of people that are li literally living this out with one another on a regular basis. And maybe, I hope all of us this week, I just a little, little encouragement for all of us, is every day this week, read 1 Corinthians 13. You got a little bit of background now. You kind of know the mess that's happening in Corinth. You know what Paul's doing. Like, just read it all as we prepare for the next few weeks together, just kind of continuing to walk through it. So as we sing this song, I just want to encourage you to close your eyes, find a space where you can just be present with what God is doing in your heart, in your life, and then I'll come out and pray. We'll receive the connect card, the offerings. You can hit the button at home. We'll log off. We'll head out with a blessing for the week. God, we are grateful that your essence is kindness and patience. No matter what we've been taught, no matter what we've thought, no matter what we've seen modeled for us, this is just an amazing, life-transforming and changing truth. And so may we dream about being more of that in our lives. May we not be weighed down in those moments, Lord, where we feel like we lose our patience, can't find our kindness but will your spirit just gently whisper and nudge us back into that space of life in you. And Lord, for those that are in a space, God, of suffering right now, looking around, wondering where you might be, I pray that your grace would invade hearts in special ways and in powerful ways right now. That the true beauty of your power is that nothing can separate us from you. No matter what evil, no matter what pain, no matter what heartache, that you're present and you can provide that comfort and that love in the middle of it. So we're grateful for it, God. We're grateful for it. We're grateful for this place, for the opportunity to be challenged and changed as we gather, as we log in together in community. In Jesus' name. Everybody said,
Amen. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. We're going to get you out of here in just a minute. Go ahead and grab that Connect card, your offering envelope. If you're online, you can click over, finish filling out your Connect card, uh, get your offering ready. In just a moment, our room hosts are going to come forward in just a second and receive our offering in those Connect cards. You can drop it in. If for some reason uh, you're writing such a big check, you're not ready for the basket. When it goes by, you can just drop it off in the hope is here, or maybe you couldn't get to your neighbor's wallet fast enough. That's right back in and I'm just kidding. So we are grateful. If you are a guest today, you shouldn't feel any pressure to give. Uh, it's just an opportunity to, to maintain a healthy church. Uh, church ministry system, all that good stuff that goes on. If you're a regular attender, thank you so much for contributing and being part of it. I can invite our uh, room hosts to come on forward. They're going to pass those baskets down the rows and across the tables. Just help serve one another. That'd be great. You can drop your connect card in there. So in that sense, everybody has something they can give today in the offering or click submit for before we do our blessing. Now, before we give our blessing today, a couple of real quick notes. Tomorrow, we're super excited. Patty Stroop, our brand new elementary program director, starts. And again, I want to say thank you. <coughs> yes. Thank you to everyone who has given to the Peace is Worth and you're giving to the Adventure is Worth it because part of what we're doing is, the, is looking to launch summer camps this summer, a whole summer full of camps for kiddos and families that need quality care uh, where kids can come and have a great experience and grow in peacemaking. And so that's one of the wonderful things we're excited about Patty being with us. And uh, so we're excited. So you're going to get to meet her over the next couple of weeks. But here's the deal. On February 6th, if you have kiddos that are in elementary age, maybe you got one in high school, one in preschool, one right in the middle, whatever it might be, your family's in invited on February 6th to a pizza party with Miss Patty right up over in 207. So February 6th, if you would just RSVP for that, that would be most helpful so we can make sure to have enough pizza and salad. And if you have any dietary restrictions, you can put that on there. But we want everybody to get the opportunity, especially those of you that have kiddos in that age group. Uh, and I would say this, if you're interested in being a part of volunteering and coming alongside Patty, uh, you should come to that and just get to hear a bit of her heart and who she is and meet her as well. So that's February 6th, all right? And it's going to be right after this service. So around 1.30 in the afternoon. No, I'm just kidding. It's not that long, right? It's not that long, okay? Good stuff. Do me a favor. Stand on up. If you're at home, just open up your heart. You don't have to stand up, obviously. If you're in your car driving, I encourage you not to stand up. Go ahead and stay sitting down. Just listen to this blessing. If you're in the room, take a nice deep breath. Open up your arms nice and wide. And just receive the blessing for this week, if you would, please. May God bless you and keep you this week as you walk through life's challenges. And may you find strength in the love of Christ that is given to you freely through the Spirit of God at work in your heart. And may you grow this week in your empathy, committing yourself to understanding the pain and perspectives of your partner, your coworker, your spouse, your child, grandchild, or whomever you seek to love this week with Christ-like love. May your love be patient and kind. May your love be strong enough to bear any heartache, burden, trial, or temptation. And may you see and seize the opportunities this week to cultivate curiosity, to step out of your comfort zone, and perhaps even join a shared cause. And may the Spirit of Jesus be your guide on this more excellent path of love. And in the words of the new song we sang today, keep dreaming and keep dancing. The gospel is still good. Amen. Have an awesome week, everybody.